Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why you still trust Pirellis, really. Randy, it's it's one of these things. It's tough to switch. <laughs> so now that I'm on an entirely new set of Pirellis, because the garage is having to replace two of them, I now have four Pirelli tires that are less than a month old. I'm hoping these can get me to when I can switch out the winters for my regular summer tires, which thankfully are Michelins, but we will see. Just don't take your Michelins to Indy. I was going to say, when you said it's hard to switch, I'm like, there's only you know, 30 no, different tires no, in the you, world. But that's okay. When you blow one tire at a time, <laughs> you, you don't add a Michelin to like three know, Pirellis, know, right? You've got to go for well, the full do, thing. Except you're adding like a black yeah. line to three Woolings on your Chevy Cavalier. <laughs> Flipping F1 brought to you by Continental Tire. Continental cheap and gets you there no and i was gonna say not as, cheap. As, as somebody who owns two sets of continental <laughs> on a car and another two sets on a couple of bikes not cheap but good value and great tires you know just in case you're looking to sponsor an intrepid formula one podcast continental we're just kind of here we also use your belts and hoses on our cars too we, we can get paid in kind it doesn't even have to be money like i would literally take a supply of tires at this point well you need a supply of tires at this point <laughs> 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 and with that it's lights out on another episode of at flippin f1 where four fanboys fire off about formula one this week the circus found its way to saudi arabia where we saw ourselves on the street track at jeddah lots of crashes lots of hard racing lots to talk about so let's jump into it how we doing spence good randy how are you Oh, just hanging out in a hotel room in downtown Toronto, just doing what I do. And of course, joining us every week, as he always does, with lots of text back to talk about this week, our man, the birthday boy, Gareth Stackhouse. How you doing, Stacks? Oh, I'm old. Fucking old, yo. Ah, whatever. But not as old as you and Phil, so it's A-OK. Call me when you're as old as me. I sincerely hope, Phil, I never have to do that, because that'll mean you've been dead for seven or eight decades. <laughs> <laughs> Years, not decades. <laughs> yeah, but the church service is going to be so nice. Always count you to keep We'll all wear pleated khakis in your honors. There's not going to be a church service. It's just going to be awake for seven years. Fair enough. And of course, always with us, the professor. How you doing, bud? Happy to be here. Apparently over the hill, but I'm happy to be here. You made it up the damn thing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So initial impressions of this race, fellas, before we jump into the boxes. It was awesome. Yeah. It was completely different from last year's race. Last year's Grand Prix in Jeddah was, I mean, sorry, there's no other word for it. It was a complete shit show. This year was equally as entertaining, but it was better racing. You know, again, kudos to the FIA. They seem to really, I'm starting to believe they nailed the regs. Like, it's doing everything they said that it would. Great race. Nine out of ten. Nine out of ten from Spence? Well, that's high praise. It was a very good race. I would agree with that nine out of ten rating. It was pretty good. A lot of passing was fantastic. A lot of incidents, though, which begs the question of whether we really should be at this circuit. I concur with both of you. Fantastic race, lots of fun, some DRS shenanigans, but whether it's part of the strategy or just a gimmick, we'll leave that up to a further debate. <laughs> and definitely some questions hanging over, is this circuit safe, and then ought we to be here? But for those who weren't watching, Mick Schumacher, Formula One driver, wrecked a car on a curb in a horrendous fashion, uh, like the back of the car fell off when they were hoisting it up, the marshals were, during qualifying, and 33 times the force of gravity when he hit the wall. 33 Gs. And he basically, he had no injuries on it. Fantastic, but very scary crash. And there was also a crash in the F2 race 
where a driver whose name Sem, I can't remember his last name, like he's concussed in the exact same place, the same incident. So there are some definite questions about the track safety. It's a very high speed track. It's very narrow, lots of walls. And then we've, of course, got some questions due to the uh, Houthi missile attack on the refinery owned by a Formula One sponsor that was about six miles down the road. Yeah, that happened. I will say, before we get into what happened inside the track, I, again, am ever thankful for the halo. I know it was so reviled when it came out, but I saw again, like when I saw that tire bounce off the halo and not hit Mick, I was like, holy shark that did it again. No, it never ought to have been reviled. Like your head's not sticking up to get hit by tires or the debris. It's fantastic. Yeah, it was really, really something. Yeah, I don't know, man. Should they have even raced that race? Like, let's have that debate now because I don't know. Like Saudi Arabia is a hard enough one in itself, right? There's a lot of places that have Formula One races that you just kind of wonder, like, why are you guys there? Because somebody wrote a giant friggin' check, including somebody else who Aramco is the Saudi state-owned oil company. It's an international title sponsor, partner, whatever F1 calls them. Like, it's sports washing. There's a shit ton of money involved. Yeah. Fair point. I know. There's a cash is king moment there, for sure. There's a cash is king. And for those who don't know, Saudi Arabia has been part of a eight-year-long civil war in Yemen, which is a failed state to the south of Saudi. And the rebels who are anti-Saudi every now and again launch drones or rockets into Saudi Arabia. Rebels themselves, not nice people. If you go read their slogan, I think their slogan involves God is great, death to America, death to Israel, and then some other like incredibly anti-Semitic stuff. So they're not nice people. But do you want to have a race somewhere that's at risk of getting bombed? And the other, I guess, fact about the civil war in Yemen, it's been really tough on just regular Yemenis who are starving, basically. Trying to live their lives. Yeah, trying to live their lives and having to pick a kind of a side or a faction and all this. And it's not a great thing. So it does beg the question, like, cash is king, but we saw F1 put their foot down with Russia this year. Ought there to be some more putting down of feet to say, maybe we ought not to be there? Yeah. I think it's a fair point. I mean, I think you end up with an argument, though. Where do you start to draw the lines? Because technically speaking, not necessarily on the war front grounds, but on the human rights grounds, oh, there's yeah. other countries that we go to with Formula One that we shouldn't be at either. I mean, it's literally everybody. Azerbaijan is one of the least free places in the world. Same with like Abu Dhabi, Bahrain. Would you not come to Canada because we've got a horrible track record with indigenous people? Well, that's the point. At some point, you end up going nowhere, but can you drive some benefit from it? I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's the point that they're trying to make is that they're trying to make change in the societies that they're going to. Well, and that's the point that especially last year, like Seb Vettel and Lewis Hamilton were making. Like, we've got rainbow helmets, we've got anti racism statements. We're trying to be here and a voice for good positive change that says everybody's equal and nobody deserves to be lesser which i think is an important message yeah i'd agree with that i think that's a critical message all right well let's get to the race so let's start it up eric play the clip it's time for everybody's favorite game yeah let's see how we did in the boxes this time around all right spence how'd you do box number one quali top five I did pretty good at this one. I mean, not that it's a particularly hard box to pick at this point. I had Leclerc, Sainz, Verstappen, and Perez. Nailed those four, although nowhere close to the right order. I'm just going to pause it right here that right now in the Formula One's current season, being able to say that Leclerc, Sainz, Verstappen, and Perez are somewhere in the top four is a gimme. Like, it doesn't get you a point. Yeah, 
I agree with that. Oh, I don't know if you can say that. I mean, it's the second race of the year, Gareth. You've got to get the order right. And those are the two fastest teams. Yeah, but give us, give us, you know, you can say that in six more races if they keep the trends going. I would say you're going to get the point for picking the order properly or getting the third fastest team or fifth fastest driver. Randy, I have only one question. Who let the lawyers into this group? Yeah, I think Professor's kind of trying to protect his point, and I get it. I mean, it was a hard year last year on the box. <laughs> I mean, I get so few points. Just give me something, guys. <laughs> Sorry, who finished? Who qualified fifth? Was it? Uh... Ocon. Ocon, right. Which so I, none of us got. No, oh. but I mean, I picked the correct team, right? In that I had Fernando <laughs> Alonso. Oh, no, no, no. You don't get the point because you picked the right team. Look, I had Fred. And, and I think if I'm picking Fred, that means I knew the third fastest car was Alpine. So points for me. I, I would accept Andrew Spencer's argument there, yeah. Yeah, of course you would. Two lawyers are sticking together. Randy had Hamilton. I can't wait to talk about that. Yeah. Maybe we can move over there <laughs> no, now. That's just the wishful thinking and how much he was drinking the night when he wrote the tip. You know what? Whatever. I'm sticking with my boy. It is what it is, man. You might want to change that soon, Randy. That's all I'm going to say. For those listening at home, Sergio Perez, first pull of his career, 11 <laughs> years after he started racing, followed by Leclerc, followed by Sainz, followed by Verstappen in kind of a shocking fourth place, and then Esteban Ocon rounding out the top five. None of us had Sergio Perez on the poll, which was a bit of a shock poll, but I think the world was happy to see him on poll. Absolutely. You know, he's raced hard for his 11 years. Certainly, I think it's the longest time, one of the longest stints for a driver to get their poll, first yeah. poll, if they're going to get one. I believe so. He, he put together a hell of a lap. I saw that first sector, I didn't think anything special, and then all of a sudden, I don't know where it came out of, and he hooked it up in the next two sectors. Like, what a lap that was. It was amazing. It was magical. Of the many reasons you watch the sport, seeing somebody hit perfection like that is just, that's part of it, like unexpected perfection. Yeah. And then like the joy that follows. Then on the other hand, Hamilton could not put a lap together, I swear, if it invited to a fashion show. Like there was nothing there this weekend during Quali. Like, I don't know what happened. I don't know. Maybe that was why he wasn't there, because he was too busy focusing on the fashion shows he was doing as he was walking into the racetrack every day. Yeah, he did fine on the fashion side of things. I don't know. That car was not there. He was not there. Like, I trust Hamilton to get the best out of his car on any given weekend. And this was not that weekend. But to say the car wasn't there, Randy, you said the car wasn't there, yet his teammate got it on sixth. Phil has a good point. I'm saying that the setup wasn't there. The car wasn't there. Like, like, the car has some pace in it. He wasn't able to harness the pace. I'm saying it's both. The car was not set up well. He was not set up for that car. Oh, we're going for a whole year of the car isn't right. I get it. I, I'm with you now. Okay. I gave you both. <laughs> I would cast my lot in with Phil here and say that the car was good enough to be the fourth fastest car. Lewis Hamilton didn't drive it well enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and every, everybody's got an off that, day. So. Everybody's got an off day. It's true. It's true. So let's go to box number four, bottom five. Bottom five qualifiers. I don't think any of us predicted that Hamilton was going to be in the bottom five qualifiers, but he was. I certainly did not. I mean, you would have been clairvoyant to have predicted that. Like, the last time that he finished that low in Q1 without crashing out was, God, when? It must be more than a decade, is it? Yeah, the last time he was that low on pace was 2009. Is it 09? I thought it was 07. I think it's 07 or 08, actually, because 09, he was relatively decent on pace, but Braun was just that much superior. The stats that were being proffered by the uh, television commentators kind of kept changing over the course of the race. All that to say, 
bottom five were Hamilton, Albon, Hulkenberg, Latifi, and poor Yuki Sonoda, who didn't even get to put a lap in because Red Bull powertrains, not doing too well. I didn't even get to make it to the grid itself. Well, he didn't even get to qualify. Yeah. I love that we all called Latifi last. Like, man, poor Williams. <laughs> Can we just talk about our number one Nick Latifi fan on this podcast? I assume that's directed at me. I mean, look, it's been a tough slog. <laughs> you, you put the Nick Latifi license plate on your AMG-powered Mercedes. For the record, that is untrue. NL6. So I was given, when I picked out my license plate a couple of weeks ago, I was given an option of, call it half a dozen plates to pick from. One of the options started the plate with NL6, which yeah. and you chose I it. thought was pretty amusing, so I chose it. I mean, and now I'm, I'm evidently the world's biggest Nick Latifi fanboy, which is an amazing uh, turn of events. I find that, that pretty, pretty funny. Ironic, because your Pirelli shod AMG-powered vehicle broke down on the way home. Also DNF this, this weekend. I love it. I love it. On this box, on this box, Spence called his own shot. Have an AMG PU? Park here. <laughs> yeah, it was a it's tough scene, guys. Tough scene. Anyway. <laughs> I think a bunch of us thought that McLaren was going to do worse than they did because McLaren didn't actually feature in the bottom five, which was a refreshing change. Norris put it yeah. 11th, Ricardo put it 12th. This is after all the penalties were assessed, yada, yada, yada. So I don't think any of us really won that box. No, I don't think so. I don't think anybody got the middle box either. No. I don't think our man Max spun out or blew up or anything like that this weekend. He did not. Our free pick bingo box, Agent Orange with a J, did not happen. Orange. Orange. All right, let's go to the top five finishers. Box number two. How did we do here? Uh, a couple of us were really optimistic that Perez was actually going to make this victory stick, and he was robbed by the safety car. Nick Latifi has yet again fucked over a winner. I mean, he's on a three-race streak of crashing to fuck up the race. Hey, and just for the record, that wins me box six. I called Latifi just because. <laughs> so. We'll get there. <laughs> So you have one point, Randy. Congratulations. Whatever. I'll take it. We'll get there. None of us, none of us saw Verstappen winning this race at all. No, not a, no, no, no. I had Verstappen in fourth. I really not thought this was going to be a, a Ferrari sandwich. I knew he was going to be on the podium, but I didn't think he'd be first. I thought Leclerc and the Ferraris had that one. And to be fair, they did until, what, two laps to the end? I mean, I think Randy and I both win because we at least predicted that Russell was going to come fifth. I think so. I'll take it. Yeah. There you go. There's points. So because one car makes it and the other guy... You guys have absolutely <laughs> fucked up rule systems, just so you know. It's Formula One. Fuck. Do you expect any less? No, 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 no. It, it's not. Formula One is a simple rule system, but then your box box bingo rules on top of this. Well, one car made it in, so therefore we get all the points. I don't get that fucking bullshit. All podcast participants are reminded of the right to repeal under Article 4.3.5 <laughs> of the FIA Sporting Code. Oh, and I'll be appealing for sure. Just a second. Let me find my Bose headphones and slam them on the counter. How do we do with the bottom five finishers, Randy? Box number three. So, I don't think really any of us called this. I mean, there was just all kinds of badness here. I mean, I think... And the bottom five at this race, if you look at who is classified as finishing... Albon, Stroll, Hulkenberg, Joe, and Hamilton, which was 10th through 14th, were classified as finishing the race. Well, I had Albon and Stroll and Hulkenberg in the bottom yeah. five. 
All right, so we all get three points. One of us had Hamilton, Stroll, Albon, and Hulkenberg in the bottom five. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I win the box. Damn it. I can't appeal that one. I predicted Lewis was not going to break out of the bottom five. <laughs> we just... Fucking Latifi, man. <laughs> that's not a true reflection of what happened. Even I am not a Lewis fan, but I'll say that's not a true reflection. I mean, the man did finish in the points. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. That's a bit of a stretch, but anyway. In all fairness, he actually probably would have finished higher in the points had Ricardo not stopped in the pit lane. That's true. And he drove past because he wasn't sure if the pit lane was open because of all the incident that happened last year. Which was the safe and smart thing to do on his behalf, by the way. It was, yeah, but the pit lane was still open at that point. But then literally 30 seconds later when a second car decided to stop in the pit lane as well. can't remember which car that one was. Alonso. Yeah, it was Fredo, Alonso, yeah. Alonso, there we go. say, before we move on from Hamilton, like the thing that I think will stick with me from this race because it was just so jarring to see was Hamilton in, like, an honest-to-God fight with a Haas over a points position. Like, that is not something... <laughs> yeah. Russell had a fight with a Haas over a points position, too. When? At Bahrain, you mean? No, here. Like, Russell and K-Meg were tussling for, like, fifth and sixth place. Right, but, I mean, they, they were on different strategies, right? Like, I, I'm talking about Hamilton and Magnuson at the end of the race. K-Meg. They were on the same, same strategy, yeah. and they were just... They were going for it. And you know what? Look, I, I don't think anyone is pretending that K-Mag and Lewis are at the same level. But, like, that Haas is, like, a seriously good car. It's fantastic. I don't think there's a single person on this podcast who's not incredibly excited as to how well Haas is doing this year. Ecstatic for it, really. I think it's not just Haas. It's K-Mag driving like a man who didn't have a drive yesterday. Yeah, well, and can we just say, like, Valbot driving like a man who's like, okay, well, go race at the second worst team on the grid. And he's qualifying, it, I think, in the top six, first two races of the year, in the top nine or something. And he almost finished in the top 10, I think like top seven or so, except his alpha, A-L-P-H-A, if you're Randy Nanjad, that took a shit. Is what it is. I don't know. And I'll say this, you know what? I have to give the guy props because I beat on him quite heavily. I beat on Hamilton a lot. But you know what? He was humble throughout this whole experience. He wasn't his usual whiny self. Ah, you know what? I think in this whole race, I think... Merck called the strategy wrong on this, too. You know, they called him in late, right? Like, yeah, I get it. Danny's parked in the pit lane, but they called Hamilton in late. And you listen to that radio call and you're like, really, guys? Really? This is the one you screw up? I don't know. It was a fluid moment. I don't think they called it late. They called it late. They had the right strategy for the race, to be honest with you. They would have been higher up in the points had that not happened. I mean, in fairness, we don't know when they called it because the radio replays on the video feed lag. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, yeah. from my recollection of that radio call, I heard box, 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 and he said, like, what the hell, I'm already past. Like, he was moving at a pace. I mean, either way, like, you know what, sometimes you get through, sometimes you come in the bottom five and still get a point, which is exactly what happened. And if we could even say, like, coming in the bottom five and still getting points is actually the Lewis Hamilton magic. Like, how often do you finish in the bottom five of an F1 race and still get points because you finished in 10th or higher? Rarely. Yeah, rarely. And I think that was the magic of this Jetta race, right? Like, there was a lot of strange moments. There was, I would call the Canadian DRS moment. You go. No, no, please, you go. No, no, you please go. But that was so strategic. That was actually fun to watch. That was how Max was trying to make it work last year and Hamilton drove out the back of him. Yeah, I heard it called DRS Chess. DRS Chess. Well, I think there's going to be more of that 
when you've got circuits where the DRS is that impactful and they've got calls like that. And it also showed us, though, like the beautiful thing about the both cars and tires this year is that they can run so closely and they can fight and they can pass and they can repass yep. and repass and do it for a few laps at a time. Like, I think that's what got everybody jazzed about what a freaking great race. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of battles on that track. Like, yeah, sometimes you get a lot of midfield battles, but to have like a, a front up battle, a bunch of midfield battles, and then some crazy wrecks in the back, it was something. And then you had fastest pit stop. Holy carp. McLaren. We'll take the points for that. Thank you all very much. Yeah, you get that one. There's not much more to say to that. <laughs> Other than, hey, Randy, how do you spell Alfa Romeo? Look, he was merging Alpha Tauri and Alpha Romeo as one team, okay? He was hoping that he'd play it one way or the other, no matter who won, right? I'll take minus two for that. You know, the answer to the question is, how do I spell Alpha Romeo? I let the lawyers do it for me. <laughs> okay, let's move over to box six, Escape Goats. This is quickly becoming one of my favorite boxes. I think I'm keeping this one for a while, just because I like the name. But who gets blamed for causing an accident? I called Latifi just because and got that one right, so I'm taking that box. Yeah, yeah, he definitely did. I thought it was going to be Sonoda, but he managed to do his sort of stop on track before he even got around to the grid, so... He did done blowed up before the race started, yeah. Yeah, he did. efficiency, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I called Joe, who actually did, I think he touched somebody and he got a five-second stop-go penalty for it. Or sorry, a five-second penalty. Twice. He only got the penalty once. But Alpha Romeo screwed up the penalty on the pit stop because, of course, if you get a time penalty during a race, you actually have to, like, stop during your pit stop. And what has to happen is you just sit there for five or ten seconds, and then they can service the car. But Alpha Romeo got, like, so excited or so confused or whatever it was that they screwed up the amount of time that they had to not touch the car. So then he had to go and serve a penalty for not serving the penalty. So Fred Vasseur and uh, Team Switzerland, where was the Swiss efficiency on that? Please go fix. Yeah. And Spence, you called Hamilton to get in a wreck. Yeah, I mean, I thought that driving in traffic was not something he's done a ton of in the last, call it eight years. So I thought it might have been kind of something he has done in a while. But you know what? He drove pretty well. I cannot even lawyer away to think of how he would have been and a scapegoat for the weekend. I, I think I, I can't claim that one. Yeah, well, that's fair. I'm taking that point. I will say, Randy, the actual scapegoat for the weekend was Alex Albon, who got a three-place grid drop for the next race in Australia for taking out Lance Stroll with a dive on the uh, penultimate lap. What a stupid way to take a penalty. Like, of all things to take a penalty on is taking out Stroll, really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he did it on purpose. He was... Going for it, but yeah. For a non-points paying position on the last lap of a race. Don't get me wrong, I like the aggressiveness. If Latifi's going to do what Latifi does, Albin's making sure that the Williams gets noticed. Yeah. Box 7, who's on fire? Fire! My prediction didn't even make it far enough in, so, you know, his car didn't get a chance to blow up. Yeah, I'm going to take the win on this one, because I was the only one who picked someone that had a mechanical DNF in the race, and that was our guy, Belmont. <clears throat> <clears throat> what? Yeah, yours wasn't in the yeah, race, he didn't though, start. Gareth. Sonoda never started the race. He didn't even start. He was still on fire. So it doesn't count. So I, I would agree with Spence yeah. on this one. The pit lane had opened for the racing session. Sonoda was part of the... Uh, did he line up start. on the grid? He did not form he the start. DNS. 
Oh, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like it when your own magic gets used to games. You do, you In guess. terms of my comment about Red Bull powertrains not solving their issues, that is... Yeah, oh, that's that is still definitely true. true. Yeah. <laughs> that remains true. We saw a lot of mechanical failures on this race. Bodass, I think, Phil, was it overheating? Is that what it was? We're seeing a lot of that. And this is the beautiful thing about Night Race. You can see the LCD dashboards on the steering wheels. Like Alonzo, his power, like his car went into limpo mode. It was like, cool car now. We saw that. I think Ricardo, that was maybe drive. But I feel like there's maybe even somebody else who was like, your car is too hot. And I want to say, this is the fun of the start of a season with a new formula. Everybody's pushing super hard. Absolutely. But if they think it's hot now, I mean, this was a night race. It wasn't that hot. Apparently, it was actually still pretty hot in Jeddah. Was it? It was Saudi Arabia. Oh, I didn't think the temperature was that high. But anyway. Yeah, apparently, like, the daytime temperature had been very high. The nighttime temperature is still decently high. Okay. I think we're going to have some more fun of that, though, as we go throughout the season. Because races are not generally run in the cold. No. Well, we're going to Australia in two weeks' time. I guess it's Australian fall which is probably still Canadian summer. It's a whole new track out there. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but I'm super excited for Albert Park for the first time in a long time. All right, let's do box eight. You know, I was all in on Perez winning this race and thought there's this weird chance that like Checo's up front and Max whines to the team and all of a sudden Spice says, yeah, you got to switch him up, but clearly didn't happen. (laughs) Actually, you know what, Randy? I would say that it wouldn't have gotten to Max whining. If they were in a 1-2 with Perez in the front, the order would have been given. No. No way. They can't do that this early in the year. There's no way. They would have done. Absolutely. I think they totally would have done it this year. No, they would have done it for sure. Max is their number one driver. Second race of the season with drivers tied on points and Sergio having a magnificent weekend. They would not have done it. And especially because, I don't know if you've looked at the Red Bull, take a look next time at the amount of Mexican sponsors that are on that car. They wouldn't have fucked over Checo like that. I agree. No. I think they would have done. They would have found, okay, granted, okay, maybe they wouldn't have given a team order. He would have had to do a pit. Guys, round 21, when Max is five points behind Charles, absolutely, they're going to be doing team orders. Second race of the year where the drivers are literally They'll do it before then, guys. They will do it. No way. They will do it before then. No. They've got all money better on no. Max. They'll do it before then. They're not going to wait. Look. You know what? This is Formula One. This is what happens. He is their number one He's driver. He's their number one driver. This is right. race number two of the season. Checo's having a great weekend. And every point counts, Gareth. You don't want to get to race 23 and go, oh, shit. If only we had flipped them around at that race, we would have nailed it. I mean, toxic space is toxic, but he's not an idiot. He wouldn't have done it. Not this race. I won't call him that. But Christian would have done that. The move would have happened. And not because it's toxic, but because that's the name of the game. Every point counts. Oh, I, I agree with you that every point counts. And I don't know if they would have done it at this point in the season. Guys, I don't even think Mercedes would have done that to poor Valbot this early in the season. Like, I just, I don't think. Especially when your drivers are tied on points. Yeah, they're literally tied on points. And it seems very unlikely to me. That Checo is going to beat Max this year. I just, I don't see a universe in which that happens. But like, you need Checo to kind of remain invested in the team. And if you're taking wins from him at a point in the year where he's tied with his teammate, that's going to be his signal to Checo will check out, right? And I don't think they can afford that to happen this early. And I would bet that Red Bull wants that constructor's trophy because it probably hurts them 
a lot they didn't get last year. Not as much, because here's the deal. They get slightly more wind tunnel time. For finishing second, even though they get more money for finishing first. Interesting point, Phil. Interesting yeah. point. And that was the decision they made as well. Your last mustache year. has a good point. Oh, piss off. I'm going to shave it off just so you can stop picking on it. <laughs> no, you know what, though? I think, Spence, you caught... Never notice whenever I make a good point, he picks on me. You know? That's the name of the whole podcast, <laughs> Phil. We just pick on you. <laughs> Sorry, it's internal fighting. Go ahead. We did just invent this podcast to pick on Phil Cantrell. That was it. I was going to uh, say, uh, it was like, yeah. it's right there in John 3.16, and the boys shall pick on Phil. anyway you were making a point randy no i was saying that spence you caught the exact paradox that i was interested in right because like yeah you know what it's early enough in the season and they know Checo's not going to be the champion at the end of the season so you might as well look after him at the same time you need Checo checked in and so you're trying to maximize points for max and at the same time you can't get Checo to disengage you can't get Telcel or any of those sponsors to disengage, at least not before the Mexico. Yeah, Telcel, Intermax. It's all Carlos Slim money. It's bigger than Dieter's money, presumably. Presumably, but they don't own the team. But the other thing, too, which we haven't really talked about, is I think Checo bought himself an awful lot of goodwill with how he performed around the stretch in 2021. Yes. All that we heard on the radio in Abu Dhabi, that was not, that was not idle talk, like, Checo is the made guy in that team now. Like Checo's a legend. Yeah, he's literally a legend, like Max said of himself. He's a legend. He's an absolute animal. He has bought himself some loyalty from the folks there. I have no doubt in my mind that later in the season, if Max is actually in the championship fight with Charles, yes, there are going to be team orders. He's going to be asked to step aside. That's you know to be expected. But this early in the year, I don't see them doing Checo like that. I, I just can't. Especially when Checo's killed it. So, Randy, no points for that. Anybody else get points in this box? Oh, I won it. I won it 100%. Yeah. No, you didn't. No, I predicted there'd be two red flags again, but there wasn't any. No. So my bet was total carnage, 15 or fewer finishers, and that was 100% correct. So uh, race of mechanical and physical attrition, 14 or fewer finishers. Yeah, carnage, though. I mean, carnage implies accidents, not necessarily mechanical problems. Yeah, I don't think it was carnage. 15 or fewer, I'll give you that. Oh, it's like mechanical carnage. No, no, you didn't say mechanical, mechanical carnage, though. Carnage. You said total carnage. You said total carnage. Incidents. Well, we had both mechanical carnage and... And Nick Latifi special. Nick Latifi? Yeah, we but had, that was We one. had Albon and Stroll. So what we didn't yeah, have was, was we didn't have the pileups that we had last year where you've got like, I think there was a four car incident on the restart last year because yellows breed yellows to quote Paul Tracy. As the person who predicted 14 or fewer finishers and mechanical carnage, I'm going to take the points on this because we indeed had 14 fewer finishers. That may be true, but you also said everyone drives like their proper F1 drivers and the only yellow flags were for mechanical issues, which was dead wrong. Not quite Nobody true. has ever accused Nick Latifi of being a proper F1 driver. So I actually think that's a zero for everybody. I mean, let's be honest here. None of us won that. This is a zero bingo for the second week in a row. <laughs> Nobody's going to get cold bingo okay, on this one. So Spencer are going to split the half point Let's just here. get to the bottom of the line. No, not even a half point, guys. You don't get anything. We're splitting the points here, Spencer. No, no, nobody got a line. Nobody got a diagonal. Phil's got this one right. This is a zero bingo week again. It's too bad because... So know. we're all shit is what you're telling us yet again. 
Yeah, that's well, true. we're consistent. We're not shit. We're consistent. We're consistently bad at predicting anything that's going to happen in Formula sure One. Sure enough. You know what? Consistent shit's a sign of a healthy body, so I'll take it. All right. So we move on. <laughs> this has changed the topic of this podcast drastically. Indeed. Speaking of shit, that's a Netflix moment. So what was the Netflix moment for you boys this week? I think it's got to be the Hamilton storyline, right? Like, it has to be the episode they're going to have, and I would be willing to bet any amount of money on this, about the downfall and then potential rise of Mercedes. They are going to be following these guys this year. They want to see what it's like. I'm sure they had cameras in the paddock with them after the first race when they realized they're, like, not going to be good. And it's going to be about Hamilton, like, getting knocked out in Q1 and barely making it to the points, getting outraced by a Haas. I think that's going to make it for sure. I don't disagree completely with you, Spence. I think it is going to be a Hamilton Mercedes story, except I think it's going to be a more, look how great George Russell is. Oh, okay. Yeah, it could be. I mean, that, that could be part of it too. And what happened to Hamilton? This could be like another, like, and I think I said this in our text chat during the race, right? I said, there's a lot of parallels I see in the Mercedes team now to like Ferrari in 2019, yeah. right? Like, is Russell Charles? Is Lewis Seb? If we keep seeing like George outperform Lewis, and there's no real evidence of that yet, but like, yeah, I could see that happening. Uh, I could see that. No evidence. Sixth in qualifying, fifth finished in the race. Phil, it's one race. That's evidence. One race. It is evidence. I will say it's not enough evidence from which you can draw a conclusion, but yes, it is evidence. Could be put together with additional evidence should it arrive later on this year. But yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Well, I had two kind of slightly different Netflix moments from that. First one, I think we've got a budding bromance as between Cheryl Claire and Max Verstappen. They're racing each other hard. They're giving each other thumbs up and like hugs and all this stuff. They're like, this is awesome. We love it. This is the kind of foil on the plot point before it all goes to shit later this year when they start punting oh, yeah. each other off. And that's the Netflix moment of they were such good friends. And then... They end up like with the cars on top of each other at Imola. I like the spin on that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's right. Right. Because Netflix will go all the way back to the karting days and find some B-reel somewhere. The two of them battling each other and then them two like yelling at each other about punting each other off. That'll be it. Yeah. Yep. And I also think we might see maybe a little vignette about the intra-team Alpine battle. The Fernando Alonso versus Esteban Ocon. Was it like five, seven laps? Okay, let's talk about that. That was fierce. I was impressed. I have to say, kudos to Otmar. Kudos to the team on letting them... Otmar looked like he was having kittens on the friggin' pit wall. I'm sure he was having kittens, but on letting them race for at least five or seven laps and really seeing who comes out on top and then forcing them to sort of calm down. And that was great racing too, like back and forth. It was fantastic racing... It showed how good the car is, how good the drivers are. You know, they were respectful of each other for the most part. Both their title sponsor, who's also an F1 sponsor, got a lot of airtime. Alpine itself got a lot of airtime. I'm going to bet, based on the post-race interviews, Fernando didn't seem particularly happy. Yes, he broke down later, but Fernando is somebody who's known for starting shit in a team. And I've got a feeling that this could start some shit inside Alpine. We have to see. I mean, that's the question mark of, has his character changed at all? Because yes, he has a historical reputation of stirring the shit. Certainly the last two years, though, he hasn't. So is that still true? We don't know. 
But it's going to be interesting to see. And it was nice to see them put their elbows out as they were racing. Formula One, it's racing, it's sport, it's entertainment. It was great entertainment. Hopefully it continues and it could be a Netflix plot point when they do the Alpine episode. Although I hope they don't do the team thing. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to call this one as the Haas story this week. They're going to do a story on K-Mag. You know they're going to do it. And this is the week to do it, right? Like he's racing and ailing Lewis Hamilton, who can't get anything out of his car. And, you know, the two of them are locked in battle and they're going back and forth. And eventually it lands where it lands. But like that whole time, like that was a mid-race story. And I think both of those things are just fodder for Netflix. So I think this is the Haas revival story right here. At least the beginning of the Haas revival story. Yeah, I think there's a bigger set of footage to that. But yeah, I would agree. This is the beginning of that story. Part two of the Haas revival story. (laughs) Yeah. Will they show the accident, though? That's the question, Netflix. I don't think so. They didn't even want to show replays of that accident. That was an ugly, ugly piece of business. And I've seen replays now. I've seen actually onboard camera shots, and it is horrific. Yeah, so... Mixed collision, like it's really bad when the TV directors have enough sense to say, and I'm sure this is part of their policy, like their SOPs, we're not going to show replays of this. It's not like Nick Latifi's qualifying shunt where, okay, right away, like he's like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry, guys, I'm fine, blah, blah, blah. And you get like the helmet cam shot. This was, oh, we haven't seen a replay. We're seeing like shots from real far away. How bad is this? But I think that large part of that actually had to do with the fact that he had no radio. Communications went down instantly. So like there was no contact. The team didn't know. That's exactly it. Like the TV producers didn't know if he was dead or not. Realistically, the medical doctor had no idea. They didn't know anything. But when you actually go back and you watch it, I saw footage of it recently as well. And the camera that goes face on from the halo. Oh, right. Yeah. You see what Mick goes through. And this is how the steering wheel just ricochets. And then you see him move the visor up. You know he's okay. So when you're racing, like, after you have a shunt, visor up is actually a sign that I'm okay. I'm okay, yeah. Which was fantastic to see. But that was, like you said at, at the outset, like 33 times the force of gravity into the barriers. And it, he was kind of chucked over there by the curb on the corner. Yeah. And that's kind of a function of you got big-ass curbs, and these cars don't ride as soft as they did last year in the smaller tire and wheel combos. Yeah. And Ocon almost had an identical accident on the identical corner on his last qualifying lap. Like, he was on the last stint that he was qualifying. Yeah, and like, save of the day, basically. It was a huge save of the day, but, it, I mean, he wasn't quite over as far. He was close to, but not as far, and that's what, what saved it. But that corner needs work. So, Phil, did you actually see the onboard for Mick's crash before... They took it down? Yeah. It's gone now. I just went and looked as we were speaking here. I didn't watch it live in the moment, Spence, because it was they, they took it off yeah. instantly. There is a replay of it somewhere on YouTube. I think I saw it yesterday. Yeah. So right now, like the minute that he hits the curb and he starts to lose control, that's where they cut it. So you don't actually see the moment of impact or anything. No. But there is footage of it somewhere else. The penalty props in Stewart's sewer, Phil, has been pretty sparse thus far this year. Pretty light. I saw a positive comment. I mean, the stewards are on form. I mean, they're doing a good job. They're consistent. They're not applying much. You know, I think they're having a couple of beverages and relaxing. Except it was Saudi, so they definitely weren't having any beverages. I would agree with you, because I am the guy who goes and reads the FIA official documents. Like, the documents have been more fulsome 
and more descriptive than previous years. It seems like they're trying harder and they're not being dicks to the point that the stewards actually looked to see if everybody slowed down during the double-waved yellow flags on laps 49 and 50. And they actually just put out a stewards document about that. We looked at everybody. We looked at every single driver. Everybody slowed down. No further investigation. Which I think is the right way of doing it. And this idea of when there's an illegal pass or something like that, and the driver is sort of somewhat sorted out, it seems to be working. Yeah, I mean, the one difference would be the signs Perez safety car line pit stop thing. Yeah, but that's an observational challenge, right? I mean, when you're sitting in the car, you really have no reference points. I mean, when we see how little they see anyway, they don't have a lot of reference points for where those lines really are and, and where the other cars in relation to that. So I think that's a fair one for them to have jumped on. I'm quite happy with what the stewards are doing so far this season and how they've sort of not been as heavily handed as they have been in the past, which is good to see letting people race a little bit more. I think certainly from my side of things, the most amount of stewarding seem to be coming from cars on track, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh, Get there, man. I mean, like... Well, it ties into the Windsor Wow, which is really the amount of whining that Max has started to do all of a sudden. It's up there with Lewis Hamilton for the last couple of years. I mean, his complaints and trying to call out the driver in front. And I liked it at one point, the team basically came back and said, all right, stick your head down and just drive and let us deal with this, right? Because really, he shouldn't be getting involved on that level of crap shooting. Yeah, no, I mean, the, you know, I can't see his lights thing was a weird call. That was an odd call. I mean, that made no sense, right? Didn't it? I mean, look, the lights are there for a reason, right? It lets people know when they're harvesting and when they may be vulnerable. And if his system is not working, I think if I'm Charles Leclerc, I probably would prefer to go out and run that race without, without your those light. lights. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as somebody who driving down the road, like today, even like, oh, that car's got one of three brake lights working. What a piece of shit. Yeah, but they're not brake lights. I mean, uh, you know, what's the purpose of the light? Harvesting lights are about the same in F1. You didn't have to swear at me, Gareth. You could have just honked to tell me, no, you're there. <laughs> the F1 cars have horns? I don't think so. No, no, you were saying that it was a car with three lights out. I was like, you could have just honked let me know you're there. I'm not going to be at you for Volkswagen Electrics, Randy. We all know, Gareth, that Randy's car only has three lights. I know. Guys, I find jokes are a lot funnier when you have to explain them, personally. (laughs) (laughs) So the whole thing that made this joke funny, Spence, was that... Oh, crap. What are we coming to here? The other part on the radio talk and what you're talking about, Lewis Peace, Really, was the humility that Clark showed at the end and the props he gave to Verstappen. It was kind of neat to see. And you know what? Charles is just, he is a young elder statesman for the sport already. I, I am so impressed with the man. Is he actually that nice of a person? That's my question. You got to figure if you're a monogast, you have to be. Like, you're either a rich douche or you're a nice guy. I mean, he is a fairly nice guy. Will Buxton says he's about to develop his inner bastard. Yeah, <laughs> And we all trust what Will Buxton says. You know, Will Buxton also says that if the wing is on the front of your car, it's the front wing. So that's okay. <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, Will, Will Buxton is an interesting commentator who adds some color. As somebody who doesn't have conventional cable, I had to watch his pre-race warm-up show. And his grid walk. Like, How many Red Bulls did he had? I, I assume it was like Red Bull and coffee. And not like Coke. (laughs) Like, I appreciate your passion with your extra long microphone. But my God, he was just a sweaty, hyperactive mess. That was the concert microphone. 
Was Aerosmith microphone? Lead singer? Has a long pole? Nobody else gets it. Steven Tyler. <laughs> Steven no, Tyler. no, I got it. Go. I was, Thank you. I, I knew got somebody it. I would know this. I just you hang with it just because, you know, you're like <laughs> 90. God, you are a bunch of great guys. This is why I love doing this podcast on Monday nights. I'm telling you. That's all right. I was Phil's loving an elevator moment. I'm with you. Yeah. Listen, Phil, kids these days love Aerosmith. Yeah, yeah. Do they? Is that even a relevant band these days? I mean, they can't help themselves for talking, for living on the edge. <laughs> Phil, if you have to ask whether it's relevant, it's not. I will give you a million BBB points if you can find a kid that can name an Aerosmith song. Not going to happen. The one from the movie about the asteroid with Ben Affleck? Yeah, but they're not kids now. They're your age. Exactly. Anyway, I don't think there was anything else on the radio talk. Was there anything else on the radio side of things? not really. There was really nothing. And you know what? I'm kind of annoyed that I don't get to listen to Martin Brundle now that I'm watching the F1 TV feed. You know you can just click a button. What do you mean? Yeah, but you just got to push a button. You know that. that. You click a button on F1 TV, and then you get the Sky feed. You get the international one, and then you get Crofty and whoever's co-presenting. This week it was Button. Normally it's Martin Brundle. So you get the same thing. Guys, I like Jensen Button. I, mean, I don't know if that's oh, like a he's popular fantastic. opinion or not, but that, that's good. Oh, I think he's good. Yeah, absolutely. He's fantastic. Yeah, I like Jensen, but I just... Anyway, Randy, you're annoyed. What are you annoyed with? I'm just annoyed that nobody told me about that stupid button. Randy, Phil told me about it over text on Friday. We did tell you about the stupid button on F1 TV because I bitched about it and Spence talked about it. Like, we've been talking about that stupid button on F1 TV since the season started. And I said, it's just a button on F1 TV. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, if you read the text messages, you would have had the information. You guys actually think I read the shit you say? Well, he's not literate, despite the glasses. What I will say is that F1 TV, like, the default settings in F1 TV this year, like, what used to be the pit lane channel is now the kind of main feed you get. And if you want to get like the quote-unquote international feed, which for the English-speaking audience is the Sky F1 feed, you've got to click the little world icon over there. Just extra step, kind of pain in the ass. It's a fun challenge for sure. I think, Randy, we're on to Winger Wow. Are we on to Winger Wow? All right. I think Randy's succumbed to hotel internet yet again. Uh, uh, I guess we'll wait for him to pop back on. Randy, over to you. What's next on our list of things to talk about? Winger Wow. Three takeaways from this week's race. Driver, team observation, overall race or venue impression, one future of the sport thought. What are you looking for for next race? Go ahead there, Spence. Spence, you're on mute, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, you guys missed a lot of brilliant insights they just had there. But, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll go back and I'll start again just for your benefit. <laughs> yeah, Spence, we all want to hear. Okay, one driver team observation. I'll start with Alpine. And we touched on it already. Man, that was a lot of fun to see. I am encouraged by the fact that Esteban Ocon doesn't seem to be taking any shit from Fernando this year. Like, he's looking like he wants to take it to him. And good for him. If he wants to stay in the team, I think in 2023, he's going to have to. Well, he's staying in the team 23. He's got like a long-ass contract. He's got a contract. He's got a contract, but that doesn't mean he's staying in the team. Everyone sees uh, Oscar Piastri there. Okay, hang on. If Fred performs again this year and wants to be at Alpine in 2023, he'll be there, right? I also believe Oscar Piastri will be there. 
I think the only way that Esteban Ocon can drive for that team next year is if he absolutely takes Fred to the woodshed and like puts him into a retirement home. That is the only way that he's going to be on that team next year. Well, he tried. He tried. He tried to put him into the wall. <laughs> that was a different thing. Oh, woodshed. Sorry. Wrong place. So look, I thought that was pretty entertaining. I hope that Esteban keeps it up. I hope we see more of that this year. In terms of a venue impression, look, I thought that the races at Saudi Arabia went better this year. I'm sure part of that is down to the fact that they did make some changes to the circuit itself. The cars are a little bit slower. You know, it actually made for some really good racing and not just the demo derby that we saw there in 2021. Future of the sport, I don't know. I'm just excited for Australia in a couple weeks' time. It's going to be a Saturday night race for me, so I'm really looking forward to loading up on some beverages and catching everything from Albert Park as it happens on a Saturday night. My side of things, wind and wow, I think from a circuit perspective, I think we've talked about it. I think the circuit has some real issues. I mean, if you had this many incidents this year uh, and last, they've got to fix some things. I don't think they adapted the circuit as much for this year's cars as they probably should have done. I think that's something they have to look at. Whether we should be there or not, I think that's the question of the day that we seem to be constantly debating. I'm really looking at this year and saying, man, this is Ferrari's year. This is the first time in many years they've had something decent to put out there and a set of drivers that complement that. As long as the drivers don't start tripping over each other, I think it's Leclerc's and Ferrari's year to take it. That's going to be my prediction as we go forward. But can't deny Red Bulls have a super fast car. And then from a future sport perspective, I just want to say this, and we talked about Mick's accident, but the lap he was on was a flyer. You know, that first sector, that was a good time. It was going to get him into Q3. I think we've got a lot to see from him, and that's the exciting thing. And it's going to be a fantastic year as we move forward. I'm looking forward to Melbourne. That race has always been fun and fantastic. Some of the changes to the circuit should be interesting to see how that makes everything fly and how that makes everything work. But it's going to be nice to be back in Australia. Nicely said, Phil. You covered some of the ground I was going to cover. Yes, finally. Yeah. My kind of venue observation, we've talked about it. Is the track safe? It's super high speed. It's very narrow, which is super cool and fun. But it was horrific accidents, both Mick, F2, yada, yada, yada. Missiles from neighboring conflicts. It seems like there's going to be some conversations about this. And we've seen that in the reporting since the end of the race. There was a real interesting comment. I think it was an FP2. David Croft was commentating. He was talking to Otmar Safnauer about the stuff that went on between the team principals and the drivers that night. And he said something along the lines of, is it true that the drivers were told by like the Saudis they couldn't leave if they decided they didn't want to be here? And Otmar said, no, no, not true, and kind of went on. And just if something like that is true, like where the local government says, you've got a race or you can't leave. Um, we do need to have a rethink of why we're there. And this is a government that lured a dude they didn't like into an embassy, killed him and chopped him up into pieces and took him out of the embassy. So we'll leave it there. We're not going to be sponsored by Saudi this year. Just please make sure this is Gareth's comments, not Phil's. I do eventually want to go to Saudi Arabia. I think it'd be a nice country to visit. I'd also like to come back. That's the most important part of that. There we go. Future of the sport thought. There have been a lot of whining on the internet, which is full whining about DRS and the whole, you, sir. No, you, please. You first. I, for one, loved the DRS strategy that we had in this race. Yeah. It's part of the sport right now, and it's making for fantastic racing. Whether it needs to be there or not, or whether it's good for the sport, I'm enjoying it. 
and everybody on the internet who's angry that there's beautiful racing, but there's people like stumbling over each other to let somebody else go first to cross the line. Yeah, shut up. Fuck off. Can't believe there's people angry on the internet. Yeah, yeah. Formula One fans who are not happy. Seems characteristically uncanny, really. My team or driver impression. Like Alpine, we talked about it, great race. And I'm going to say Alpine and Haas together. Who's got the fifth fastest or fourth fastest car this year? Like, I think it's going to be a really cool Alpine Haas battle. Maybe Alfa Romeo is going to show up there. We don't know. But right now, it's looking like a fantastic battle. And then next race, Australia. Australia. It's going to be a fucking party. And I hope it's going to be a great fucking time. Can't wait. The Aussies know how to party. And I'm hoping it throws up a great race. Are you going to stay up? It'll be about, I guess, 1 a.m. local time in Toronto for you, Gareth. Are you going to stay up to watch it? Yeah, I'll be having lunch. Well, you got to remember, Gareth doesn't normally get up till noon. That's true. Yeah, he's not asleep late, at that late point. Late dinner yet. for him. I, on the other hand, am going to struggle on that one, but I'm going to do my best to see that one live. You're going to feel the Andrew Spencer pain. I mean, 2 a.m. is pretty late, but yeah. Nah, I've done 2 a.m. I've done it live before. I prefer watching it live if I can. In fairness, I think I prefer it- 2 a.m. to 4 a.m., which is what I have to do for Azerbaijan, so... Well, 2 a.m. is easier because you're not going to bed and waking up. You're continuing your Saturday night. I lived in New Zealand for two and a half, three years and watched a lot of F1 there with my friends down there when I was in high school. And it was a freaking struggle to watch anything that wasn't the Japanese Grand Prix. Yeah. Like you're waking up at three, four in the morning to watch stuff all over the world. Pain in the butt. We have it easy. This like 1 p.m. race. Amazing. Before we leave, we should do a quick update of the Flippin' F1 Red Flag leaderboard. For reasons I don't know, I decided to keep a spreadsheet of the Red Flags every season. Does anybody want to guess who is leading our leaderboard? It's got to be Nick Latifi. No! Really? Our Red Flag leaderboard right now is led by Alfa Romeo, the team, because... I make this up, so I attribute everything to everybody. And they had three red flags all in preseason testing for mechanical issues. They're tied with Alpine, also at three, who had two preseason issues. And then they had a exploding side pod in Bahrain in free practice. That was fantastic, actually. That was my favorite. It was great. And then uh, tied for second, Aston Martin. Actually, that was one thing. Just to circle back on the cars for a second. Hold that thought, Gareth. Did anybody see the amount of duct tape that was going on some of these cars? Yes. Like, it was insane. Hey, welcome to the cost (laughs) cap era, Phil. This is what you do now. And just for our listeners, like, usually Formula One teams will actually tape every bodywork seam on the car for a qualifying or for the race. They do tape that, but we've been seeing a lot of extra tape this year on like extra areas like the floor and stuff where it's like hmm let's try to just make sure that doesn't fly off and also i'm sure it's not duct tape i'm sure it's carbon fiber tape of some kind but it's still it's tape it's just strange anyway back to you gareth yeah tied in second place in the red flag leaderboard so aston martin and our first driver on the board is mick schumacher who's got two red flags one in the preseason bahrain and one in saudi arabia massive crash Otherwise, coming in last on the red flag leaderboard, all equal with one red flag each, are Zhou Guanyu, preseason Spain, Pierre Gasly, preseason Spain, Haas, preseason Spain, Red Bull, preseason Spain, Perez, preseason Bahrain, Williams, preseason Bahrain, McLaren, preseason Bahrain, 
the Jetta Cornish circuit this past race, who got a red flag for having their sign fall off onto the circuit during FP1. And then Nick Latifi, Spence's favorite driver, in last with one red flag for uh, shit in the bed and qualifying. And that's your red flag leaderboard with 19 red flags for the season thus far. See how high we can get it. Thank you, Gareth, with that lovely interlude. Oh, you're welcome, Philip. Well, with that, it's another episode of Flippin' F1. Say goodnight, fellas. Goodnight, fellas. Goodnight. We're edited by Eric. I don't know his last name, but he makes us sound way better than we are. I don't know what, what Randy's doing over there. Someone please stop the recording. <laughs> Can we even stop it?